Chapter One of the Young Pretenders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Young Pretenders by Edith Henrietta Fowler. Chapter One In the Garden. Granny would never come back any more. At least, that was what Nurse said, and so the children knew that it must be true. "'When we're grown up, shall we know everything right like Nana does?' asked Babs, as they talked it over afterwards in the garden. "'I dare say,' answered Teddy carelessly. "'What shall we play at now, Babs?' So the children forgot the news that Nurse had told them, and cheerfully accepted the fact that their grandmother, with whom they had lived during the whole of their short lives, had gone away indeed beyond recall. It did not matter much to them. They had always thought of Granny as a piece of the drawing-room furniture, quite a nice piece, but dull and delicate, as most drawing-room furniture is to the child mind. She had never entered into their world at all. That was peopled by a host of pretending folk, all the animals they ever came across, and most of the servants with their relatives and acquaintances inclusive. Such an interesting world it was, bounded by the brook and the lanes, and full of excitement in the first bird's nest, and the young rabbits, to say nothing of Giles the gardener's thrilling stories. And besides, it was several weeks now since Granny had gone away to London, and the memory of her was already growing a little dim. Teddy and Babs had both almost cried their eyes out when Don the Retriever died, but then he was a real friend of theirs, and that makes a great difference. "'Good morning, little master and missy,' said Giles as the two children peeped in at the tool-house door. "'Has nurse told you the sad news?' "'No, what?' cried Babs anxiously. "'Suit hasn't been caught in a trap again, has she?' And the little girl's face paled with apprehension. "'I mean about your poor dear grandma.' "'Oh, is that all?' said Babs with a sigh of relief. "'You give me such a fright about darling suit.' "'Nana told us Granny isn't never coming home again,' answered Teddy. "'But, Giles, do take us to see the nest you found yesterday.' "'Yes, do,' pleaded Babs. "'Sakes alive!' ejaculated the old man. "'What callous creatures children be!' And he drew his horny hand across his eyes and finished the plant he was potting before they all three started for the plantation, the children dancing round him with the delight of a couple of terriers just turned out of the kennel. Teddy, said Babs, when their excitement about the nest had abated, and the gardener gone back to his work, if that other big nest right up at the top of the tree that Giles told us about is so high what no ladders can reach it, how did anybody reach to put the eggs in? This was rather a poser for Teddy, but that was the worst of Babs. She was always asking such difficult questions, and Teddy, deep down in his masculine mind, could not bear to own that he did not know. "'I spect somebody climbed,' he said dubiously. "'Oh, who?' asked his sister eagerly. "'It couldn't have been Giles, nor Nana, nor Granny, nor that gardener's boy, cause I asked him specially if he couldn't get me one of the eggs for our collection, and he said it was much too high. Who could it be?' "'Somebody in the night, perhaps a fairy.' "'Perhaps an angel.' "'Oh, yes,' surmised Babs. "'That must be it. "'One of those I specked out of four corners to my bed.' "'Yes,' 
said Teddy, thankful that the subject was satisfactorily settled, on their way down, you know. What shall we play at now? continued the little girl. Let's pretend we're the stoners. Mr. and Mrs. Stoner were a very erratic couple, whose varied experiences were Bab's great delight. She was always Mrs. Stoner, the fond mother of a most dilapidated family of dolls and a cheery, chatty matron, notwithstanding all her cares, and Teddy was Mr. Stoner. At least he always began by being Mr. Stoner, and then to Bab's sorrow he generally turned out to be either a prince in disguise or a terrifyingly wicked man called Henry Baker. It was naturally very upsetting for Mrs. Stoner when either of these changes took place, and indeed, on one memorable occasion, her husband had suddenly become a lion, which was manifestly perturbing in any well-regulated household. Poor Babs used to implore Teddy not to turn out into anybody else. But he was rather a romantic boy and enjoyed the unexpected. Moreover, he had one great advantage over Babs, which influenced his style of play. He, being seven years old, could read exciting fairy tales and work out his pretenses on those lines, while his little sister, being only five, was out of all this. For such sentences as that fat cat, which were at present her literary boundaries, did not tend to inspire fresh thoughts or ideals. Don't turn out to be anyone else, pleaded Babs. Be just Mr. Stoner. I can't be sure, said Teddy solemnly. Well, then, to begin by being the prince, I'd rather have that than turning out. But in the end, as usual, Babs played Teddy's way, and Mrs. Stoner opened proceedings by giving a sumptuous dinner party. Her only guests were snapdragons, chosen as most suitable for banquets, on account of their swallowing capabilities. It was such fun poking down their open throats with a bit of stick. First, some chopped grass out of the mower's wheelbarrow, mixed with water, and then a soiled pudding made from the hostess's own receipt. "'What shall we do now that throats is full?' asked Babs anxiously before the last course. "'I'll be the doctor,' said Teddy. "'Do people ever have the doctor right in the middle of the dinner party?' "'They might if they were very ill.' Rap, rap, rap on the trunk of the tree, and Mrs. Stoner, flushed and excited, admitted Dr. Teddy." and then they had a lovely time, peering into the snapdragon's throats, and pouring water down, and in extreme cases, extracting the tongues from the back of the flower. "'It's just like us when we had sore throats,' cried Babs excitedly. By the time the doctoring was done, some of the snapdragons were very languid and weak. "'They don't open their mouths quite so nice,' said anxious Mrs. Stoner, stroking them tenderly with her fat brown fingers." They're very bad still, pronounced the doctor gravely. And this dear white one is all split. Then it must be drowned, continued the medical man, whose measures were drastic. Oh, Teddy, gasped the little girl sympathetically. Must it really? Yes, we will go down to the brook with it now. So the tender little hostess bowed to the doctor's stern decree, and they set out across the field towards the brook with fatal purpose. Let me kiss it afore it goes, asked Babs as they stood on the bridge. And then, after sad farewells, they solemnly dropped the ragged flower into the water. A moment's mournful silence ensued. Let's paddle, suggested Teddy, chiefly to cheer Babs' drooping spirits at the snapdragon's decease. 
The thought of wading into the cool water on that hot morning filled the little girl with a sudden reaction of delight. They tore off their shoes and stockings and ran about on the fresh grass before venturing into the brook. I still Mrs. Stoner, said Babs. I'm Henry Baker, announced Teddy. The worst had happened, for there was nothing which filled poor Babs with greater terror than the sudden appearances of Henry Baker. Oh, please not, Teddy, she gasped. Be a prince instead. Henry Baker is a wicked man, said Teddy, utterly unmoved by her appeal. He cut all his children up in slices. The horror of this announcement was too much for Babs. In her hurry to reach dry land, she dropped her little bunch of petticoats and frock, trod on a sharp stone, and finally fell down in the soft red mud that lined the banks of the brook. What a mess! observed Teddy unsympathetically. Babs looked extremely surprised for a few moments, and then, as if to complete the catastrophe, she began to splash violently with both hands. You'd better come out, continued Teddy, as his sister sat resignedly in water several inches deep, and then, from a scientific point of view, What does it feel like, Babs? Rather cold in the water and warmish in the mud, catching her breath. Anything like hasty pudding would be? Yes, something. Only kite cold hasty pudding. More like porridge, perhaps. Oh, yes, cried Babs, cheering up. Just like porridge and lots of cold milk. You'd better go in, repeated Teddy, cause of catching cold. It's a horrid feeling, said Babs as she scrambled up, all heavy and dripping. It's harder catching cold and stopping all day in bed, observed Teddy wisely and his little sister took the hint and started to run towards the house as fast as she could in her wet, clinging clothes. Nana was a lovely nurse to go to in a mess. She never scolded at all, but put Babs into a nice warm bath and dressed her in clean, dry things, only muttering to herself every now and then, Poor lambs! Gone today and here again tomorrow! Which remark Babs did not understand at all and that cannot be wondered at, for to whom could it possibly apply? The children were not gone today, and Granny, who was, would not be here again tomorrow, or indeed, as Nana had said, ever again. Still, it seemed to relieve Nurse's feelings, and that was the principal thing. One of the undermaids had ventured to laugh at this saying of Nana's that same morning, but had been sternly rebuked for making jokes when death was in the house. It ain't in the house anyway, she rudely retorted. It's in the family, and that's the same thing, said Nurse with dignity as she left the room. Nana always spelt the family with a capital F. Now, Miss Babs, dear, when the toilet was completed, you'd better not go out again just at present. Wait till after dinner. There's a love. Ordinarily, this prohibition would have raised a storm, but the little girl astonished Nurse by saying, All right as she ran off into the day nursery. "'It's as if the dear lamb's thoughts were in heaven, too,' said Nana, wiping away a tear. But she was mistaken. The dear lamb was thinking solely of some very interesting bird's eggs which she and Teddy were trying to hatch on the top of the hot-water cistern. And for some time she had been trying to persuade him to let her make a hole in one of them with a pin, just to see how they were getting on, but in vain.' This seemed a golden opportunity, for the children were nearly always together. 
So Bab started off to the attics, armed with a large pin to aid her research. The egg is addled, Teddy, she announced at dinner. How do you know? asked her brother sharply. I made just a teeny, weeny hole in one with a pin, and I couldn't see nothing. You'd no business to, said Teddy crossly. Now you've spoilt that one. I told you not. Oh, Teddy, I haven't killed the little bird, she asked in an agony. Yes, you have. Here nurse had to interfere, as Babs was almost in tears, and Teddy quite in a temper. If there's any quarreling about it, I shall have to throw the whole lot away, she threatened, and the children were drawn together again by the bond of a common danger to their beloved property. Four years ago, Major and Mrs. Conway went back to India, leaving their two children to live in the dear old country home with Granny. She did not know much about children, poor old lady, or perhaps she had forgotten what she once knew. It was so long since the Major and his younger brother were little boys in the Cloverdale nursery, and that dear dead daughter of hers a baby girl. And besides, she had latterly become a regular invalid, and could not do with the noise of childish voices and rough games. So Teddy and Babs had lived alone, going their own way and working out their own thoughts. Nana was very good in caring for their creature comforts, but she was rather old and fumbling too, and they had never known the joy of an undernurse, one of those scatter-brained, jovial village girls who work so badly and play so splendidly. So the children's chief and only playfellow had been the gardener Giles. All day, every day, unless the weather was too bad, they spent out of doors, playing their quaint games and pretenses, and growing with the birds and flowers in nature's big nursery, quite independently of the training and teaching which children usually have. A happy, sunshiny life it was, and Cloverdale, the best, biggest home country in the world. But with just the same surroundings, the two children were entirely different, different in looks and ways and character and it seemed as if there were a mistake somewhere, that Teddy should have been the girl and Babs the boy. For Teddy had his sweet, fair face, framed in golden hair, his lovely mother's face, in fact, that ought to have been her daughter's. And Babs, poor Babs, was dark and square and sunburnt. A plain, cheerful child, full of the tenderest sensibilities, consumed by the most ardent feelings. "'while Teddy smiled an angel's smile "'and did not care much really about anything. "'I will conjure this afternoon,' "'announced the little boy magnanimously, "'and Bab's delighted excitement knew no bounds. "'The conjuring pigs were quite an institution "'in the Cloverdale nursery. "'They originally came out of a Noah's Ark, "'which Granny had given Teddy one faraway Christmas, "'and consequently were both exactly alike. "'Where will you conjure to?' "'asked Babs with the deepest interest.' I will conjure this one into the wheelbarrow on the lawn hidden in the grass, said Teddy, with a lordly air. Look, here it is in my hand. You see it, and touch it. Yes, said his little sister, in an awe-stricken manner at the approach of so great a mystery. Well, look here. Be gone, pig. One, two, three, and away. And he waved his closed hand wildly in the air. Now, Babs, go to the wheelbarrow and see if it's there. Away flew little Barbara downstairs and out at the garden door. She buried both her fat hands into the mown grass, and sure enough, there lay a little wooden pig. Oh, Teddy, she screamed, here it is. 
How wonderful you conjure! How do you do it? But her brother never would tell. He enjoyed her wondering admiration of his skill, and proceeded to electrify her still further by conjuring the pig back into the nursery cupboard. Again, she implored. I thought of a place this time, into the rabbit hutch. But Teddy said the conjuring was over for that day, and Babs could not persuade him further. So they took all the young rabbits out in the orchard and played with them happily till tea-time, when Nana arrived with the joyful announcement that they might have tea in the little tea-things on the lawn. A slight squabble arose as to who should pour out, which was decided by a compromise suggested by Nurse. Babs should help the milk and sugar, and Teddy pour the tea. Tea in the little tea-things always ended with a delightful game called Lapity which consisted of a race between the children as to who could first drink a whole cup of milk, spooning it up with one of the tiny teaspoons. It was very exciting, as Babs in her hurry generally choked, and then Teddy got so far ahead that he was sure to win. On this occasion it ended more roughly still. The teapot was upset and the tray swam with a miscellany of slops, which fluid Teddy finally insisted that Babs should drink. The little girl obediently complied. She was accustomed from earliest youth to drink the leavings of a little tea-things party, and had apparently quite acquired the taste. "'Uncle Charlie's coming to see us soon,' said Teddy. "'Giles told me.' "'Oh, how lovely!' cried Babs. "'We haven't never seen him all our lives, have we?' "'Of course not. He's been in India as well as father, but he came home when Granny went to London.' "'He'll be splendid, won't he, Teddy?' A real injust soldier. A very favorite game of the children's was pretending to be father and Uncle Charlie. I'm awful glad he's really coming, continued the boy, cause he's been in a proper battle, you know, Babs. Giles told me all about it, and got a medal from the Queen cause of it. Oh, yes, I know. Giles tells us lovely tales about Uncle Charlie. I shall be a soldier too, Babs, of course. Of course. But, Teddy, I wish father had been in a battle, too. It makes it so much more of a soldier. He might have got killed, suggested Teddy. Oh, so he might. I'm awful glad now it was Uncle Charlie as was in the battle. And I am. His medal'll look lovely on his scarlet coat. Won't it, Babs? Oh, lovely. When's he coming? I'm so sighted about it. One day quite soon, Giles says. Master Teddy, Master Teddy, called Nana from the window. I want you. The children rushed in and found Nurse poring over a little thin piece of pink paper which had come in an orange envelope. I'm to take you up to London tomorrow, Master Teddy, dear, your uncle says. What does it say? asked Teddy, who could not quite manage to read writing yet. Bring the boy here tomorrow for funeral by eleven train to Paddington. We'll meet you. Captain Conway. Not me too? cried Babs with a dawning fear. No, dearie, said Nana lovingly, but we'll only be gone a day or two. Oh, I would so have joyed the funeral, cried Babs. Why didn't they want me too? There, there, Miss Deary, don't fret. Funerals aren't nice for little girls, which sounded as if Nurse thought them delightful for everyone else. I wish I was going too, continued Babs, wailing. 
but Nana came to the rescue with kisses of comfort and suggested that the little girl should sail boats during her bath, and this was a stroke of genius on the part of nurse. Bab's distress vanished as if by magic, and judging from the shouts of laughter and splashing which emerged from the bathroom during her ablutions, the trouble was apparently quite forgotten. For happily children's sorrows, though perhaps as keen as those of their elders, are nothing like so long-lived. Teddy was not nearly so excitable as his little sister, and took the news of his coming journey very calmly. He methodically set about packing his best top and paint box in case he wanted either of them at the funeral, and nurse attended to such details as clothes after the children were safe in bed. They both sat up till nearly eight o'clock on this memorable occasion, and Babs was spared the anguish of that half-hour which usually came after her bedtime and before her brothers. "'Teddy,' she called, the last thing just before Nana shut the night nursery door, "'spose the eggs hatch while you're away. What must I give them to eat?' "'Bread and milk,' said Teddy. "'And just a few worms mixed with it? You remember how our last starting but one joyed bread and milk and worms?' Now, children, no more talking, or I shall have to shut Master Teddy's bedroom door. I's rather glad, after all, that I'll be home in case those eggs do hatch, murmured Babs to herself. It would be so lonesome for the little ones without me for their mother. And the dear little mother's soul within her rejoiced that no pleasure of hers should interfere with her loving maternal duties. Which is the way of mothers. End of chapter 1